0: What's up Westside and thank you so much for making worship a priority. My name is Adam and I'm so happy to be the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church. I also want to say hello to everybody who's going to experience this message through our podcast or online. Our subject today is uh, the vision for our church in 2020. You know, about a year ago, I was doing some consulting in Colorado at a corporate retreat, and I flew into Denver and had to fly, or to drive to Breckenridge. Uh, So that's, that route is through the mountains. It was nighttime, and then it started to snow. This was not good for me, right? I didn't know where I was going. Uh, The mountains uh, made things hard to see, especially at night, and then with the snow, the visibility was really bad. The final straw for me was when I began to see a bunch of these signs for runaway truck lanes, right, in case a truck can't stop. I was like, I'm out, and I actually pulled over to a different hotel than the one I was supposed to stay at, because I just couldn't, with the bad visibility, I couldn't see what was coming around the corner, and I just, I just, I had to do something else. I couldn't take it, right? Driving in the mountains, it was dark and snowy. I didn't, I didn't anticipate what would be coming next, it's hard to make progress when you don't know what's around the corner. Uh, it's hard to move forward when you're facing a lot of challenges. I think in 2020, uh, for Christians in general, and, and, and churches in general, I think we face a lot of obstacles. You know, America is now in what theologians call a post-Christian state. That means that the church has increasingly less influence in our society, the Pew Research Center cites the rapid decline of people who respond to religious affiliation with none. You can see in just a few short years that percentage of people who claim none in terms of their religious affiliation or belief has, has risen dramatically. Here's some fun numbers there are 780 United Methodist churches in Missouri, 600 of those are under 100 people. As a conference, we close about 30 churches annually, every year, and last year, there were only about 50 United Methodist Churches in our state that grew. Now, you're sitting in one of them, but as a congregation, a denomination, we've, we've made headlines recently, the United Methodist Church has. Our general conference is sort of like the Congress of the United Methodist Church, and they meet every four years. That's when Methodist delegates from all over the world come together and decide on a whole range of issues related to our denomination. This year, the conference is in May, and it's in Minnesota. Now, it's usually a contentious time, but that's become increasingly true, uh, especially around issues of human sexuality and inclusion. As a denomination, we've been trying to figure out if people who have different theological convictions can coexist together. Now, there may be a time where we as a church have to decide that, and that's part of what has made uh, the angst around these conferences kind of bubble up because no one's quite sure what the outcome is going to be, including me. Now, beyond our own Methodist world, there are, of course, other major challenges out in the actual world. Last week, we talked about racism being something that, that people deal with every day. How do we as Christians interface with that reality how can we help heal the deep partisan divide that marks our national politics? What about other issues of, of inequity, uh, especially things like the gender pay gap? I mean, I could, I could name a ton of problems that we as Christians have to figure out our response to. There are too many massive issues facing our society for me to even list. And we should never forget that in the midst of all of these large, large problems, that there's hurting people that are desperate in their need for a savior. Now, I said more than once recently that positivity is one of my top strengths. And this is about the saddest beginning to a sermon I've ever written. But friends, some things are worth being sad over. In our scripture today, we're going to read about a group of people that are facing challenges as well, that are unsure what is ahead. In the book of Nehemiah, the people of Israel are returning from exile In Babylon. Following the Babylonian contest, their entire nation was taken prisoner and literally carried off for 70 years. They've been away from their home. The capital city of Jerusalem is in ruins. Much of the book of Nehemiah is focused on the the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem, rebuilding the city walls. As a people, they have generations of children who have never known their ancestral home. They also face cynicism from within their own ranks, and they're also facing violence and the threat of war from other neighboring powers. And so they're very vulnerable as a people. The way forward is unclear. And after at least seven months, maybe a year and a half or so, they have made some progress and the people hold a worship service. So we're gonna pick up in Nehemiah chapter eight, verses one through three. Going Old Testament on you this morning. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So the book of the law of Moses would have been a scroll containing the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses, the Jewish books of law. We just had a million person gathering downtown to celebrate our team. Imagine that scene only had all the people from a city gathering together for worship. Imagine getting up at 5 a.m. because you were so excited to be at worship. It's a much different motivation, isn't it? All the people of Israel gathered to worship and hear from God's word as Ezra, their their priest and prophet, read to them from the book of the law. The availability of physical media to read from was limited. Literacy, of course, nowhere near the rates we have today. Most people couldn't read or write, and, and the availability of those tools to read or write was limited. So it would have been very common practice for people to receive teaching this way. They read from daybreak until noon. Now I just gotta tell you, y'all are pretty spoiled with my little 22-minute sermons. Okay, there would be a riot if I tried to keep you here for five hours. And so the fact that the people received God's words for hours and hours and hours, it shows that they're desperate to hear from God, doesn't it? Some gathered had been raised in a foreign environment And they have lost their ability to hear and understand the Hebrew language that these laws would have been written in. And so verse 7 tells us about people who were there to make sure that the folks who were listening could understand. In verse 5, we read this, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. As we praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Standing up is a sign of reverence, right? What what do we do when, when the bride walks into a wedding? We stand up to honor the bride. So similarly, the people were standing to honor, to do something physically to show their reverence for God. And then bowing down is a sign of humility, it was a sign of their repentance. So you can see just from their, their physical reactions uh, in worship that they're especially thankful to be worshiping back where they belong. You could see on display their passionate worship for God. Then Nehemiah the governor, verse 9 says, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So why was it that the people were weeping? Now, I think there could be a few reasons. The first is is that hearing the words of God convicted them. God had made explicitly clear that their disobedience was the reason for their defeat and their exile at the hands of the Babylonians. So these could have been tears of repentance, that they were truly sorry for wandering away from God's law and the way that God wanted them to live. Some may have wept having been at their first proper worship service in generations, having been gone from their home for so long and lived under the rule of the Babylonians. Maybe others were weeping for the way things used to be, a longing for that familiarity and nostalgia, the way things were. Others may have been weeping for what they had lost, Their city was in ruins, and they were starting all over. For the people of Israel, things had changed. And friends, change is loss. And the natural human response to loss is grief. Now, I know not everybody listening to this is as invested in Methodism as I am. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Missouri Conference, and and you may be thinking, well... What does that have to do with us? Well, a lot. For one thing, uh, at Westside, the Missouri Conference is the body that gave us a $90,000 grant to start our second site. So even if you don't know about it, I think you're glad for the Missouri Conference. But that is the organization of all the United Methodist Churches in Missouri, and I'm a product of the Missouri Conference. When I was ordained an elder, a, a pastor in the Missouri Conference, I turned my life over to the church. Being raised as the son of two Methodist pastors means that in many ways, the Missouri Conference has been the one constant in my whole life. Even as I moved around as a kid going wherever the church sent my family, the conference helped raise me up. My most formative experiences in faith growing up were on conference mission trips. I would jump in a van with a couple other kids in this leadership group and, and I'd play guitar and help lead worship at all these different church camps, uh, mission trips throughout the summer. And, and I learned a lot about myself and about what it meant to serve God. I got to see the whole state, lots of the con- parts of the country. It was hugely formative in my life, seeing what people could do together in community in obedience to God. Man, I even met my wife at a conference event. Like, how dorky is that? Right? And so the conference also sent me here where my family has been so warmly received uh, in a church that we already have come to love. I owe the conference a lot. I met some of my best friends through the conference. I firmly believe one of the best things we've got going as Methodists is our network. Right? I've got people that I can call, and they'll return my calls. I weep for the fact that when the United Methodist Church makes headlines, it's because of theological controversy not because of the amazing work being done in Jesus' name around the world. I mourn that the United Methodist Church could be a place that people think isn't for them. It breaks my heart that this thing I have known and loved may be changing. For years now, I've had low latency anxiety about the future of the United Methodist Church. I've spent a lot of time and energy mourning and literally weeping for the future of our denomination. And I'm done. I'm done weeping. I'm done mourning in advance. I'm done trying to see around the corner and make predictions and, and being anxious about that and weeping over all these potential outcomes. I'm 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 done. I'm releasing my anxiety and I'm trading it for the joy of the Lord. That's what we read about in verse 10. That's what Nehemiah and Ezra tell the people. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When the people returned from exile... When they returned to Jerusalem, they faced a lot of uncertainty and a lot of challenges. When they worshiped and read from the law of Moses, they were reminded of who they are. Facing a crisis, they returned to who God had called them to be. Last summer, I met with about 200 folks from our church uh, across 20 different listening sessions And in those kind of low key conversational environments, at the end, I asked everybody to give me three words on on an index card that you felt described our church. These These were some of the highest recurring words or phrases. This is who you told me we are, that we're welcoming or friendly. Now, I know not every church is batting a thousand when it comes to this, I know that's true. But this is a church that strives to be welcoming and friendly. There's, there's one particular couple that was new to our church last summer around the same time I was. And it, it, it's hard to be a new citizen in a new place. And, and, and so in conversation with them, they, they got involved into a small group. And this semester... They, along with a handful of other folks, have launched a small group specifically in a new time and a new place to try and draw in some people that are also new. They know what it's like to be the new person, and so they want to make sure that other new folks know they have a place here. I just love that so much, that people are willing to help create the type of community that they desire. Just one example recently of the efforts our folks make to make sure folks feel welcome at our church. Another aspect or, or descriptor of our church that people listed was that we're caring, we're caring. You know, I mentioned that the church is often seen as irrelevant in our culture. Well, you know what? It's pretty relevant when you're trying to bury someone you love. You know when the church is relevant? when you're trying to grasp for hope that death isn't the end. And so we have a group of people whose entire ministry is providing food and meals for people on the day of a loved one's funeral. And that is a ministry that's often not seen, but friends, it is so valuable. It is so, it's, it's a holy thing to show folks hospitality and to care for them through the means of food, to show them God's love in that way on what is probably one of the worst days of their life. And so folks tr- are treated with great care as they mourn for their loved ones because of the ministries of this church. That's just one example of many that we could list. Pastor Sherry has a whole, whole slew of care ministries aimed at praying for folks and visiting folks when they're sick and, and it's just vitally important that when you join our community that you're welcomed in and then that you can give and receive that care to make God's presence real through our church. And one of the other things that folks mentioned was a hallmark of our church or that described us was our focus on outreach and service. I could name a ton of examples here. Again, I only got 20-some minutes, not five hours. But one recent example is our Book Buddies program. That was kind of generated by someone at Westside, and it was a pledge for our church to provide students at our partner elementary school in the city with one book every month all school year, all almost 500 students. And this is an amazing thing because it's, it's helping encourage children's literacy. A lot of these kids may not have access to books and it's given them something to look forward to. And again, it's a demonstration of our love for them and our care for them. I just think it's a brilliant idea and it's made possible because of our, our focus on outreach, that we don't wanna just huddle up inside these walls, but that we wanna reach out and be making a difference in all sorts of ways, and with Book Buddies specifically in the lives of children at Whittier Elementary School. I'm so proud to be a part of a church where that's something that's emphasized. And so we will continue, friends, to be who God has called us to be. That's part of what this sermon is about. Let's remember who we are. In 2020, we're going to continue our mission to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We're going to keep amassing stories like the ones I've shared and recounted today. Last fall, our leadership team met, and based on some of this feedback I'd received at our listening sessions, uh, we kind of wanted to combine who we are, our existing values, with what we need to do in 2020, some aspirational values. And so here is our vision for 2020. Here's what it means to be a part of our church in the next handful of months. In 2020, we will unite as a church to communicate God's love through sacrificial service. That's what we're aiming for. We wanna unite as a church. It's interesting, uh, our our little scenario we've built up here is so fascinating. We've got two campuses only a handful of miles away. We have five different worship services on Sundays. And we also have multiple styles kind of within those five services. And so whatever campus and style preference, we need to remember that uh, we're not here uh, because we like whatever Mike Rogers guitar playing more than piano No, we're here to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. It's our mission that unites us across our campuses. And we want to offer opportunities for us all to come together. Just last weekend, we had a strengths event where 130 people came. It was amazing to see folks from all of our services, all of our campuses coming together. In the month of February, and, and as we are in the spring, we have a couple other opportunities where we can come together and all worship, not unlike uh, the Israelites as they return to Jerusalem. Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are two opportunities for us to unite together in worship across all of our campuses. I hope you'll consider both of those events. And we also wanna be communicating God's love. Right? We have a new, a new service at Westside Y'all had grown so much, we needed to make room for new people. So who have you communicated that to? Who are you reaching out to? Who are you offering to to take advantage of the opportunity to be welcomed into your community? Because that's who we made room for. So we need to be speaking about the things God is doing in our lives. We need to be offering opportunities for folks to experience the power of discovering Christ in this community. So we never want to let go of that. And we also want to be emphasizing our our, our ability to sacrifice for the sake of others, to be serving others. You know, I mentioned that that Christianity is seen as being in decline in our country. And I think one of the reasons for that is because people see a disconnect between what Christians profess they believe and what we're doing. And so we want to make sure that our beliefs are aligned with our actions. Jesus says. Uh, whoever does not deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so if we're gonna follow this mission, it's gonna require some sacrifice. Jesus also said that whoever wanted to be great among you must be your servant. And so we want to be reaching out in service and love to our neighbors in order to display, to make real for them the love of Christ. And so we're gonna continue to selflessly and sacrificially serve the people in this church and in this community. That's what it's going to take to fulfill our mission, to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The vision for 2020 is in preparation for what we may not be able to see around the other side of the mountain. But friends, all of this isn't just for our institutional survival. I'm not interested in that. That's not a compelling mission for us to keep, just stay together, man. Just keep it together. No, Our mission is about more people coming to know the saving love of Jesus Christ. In 2019, we had 44 baptisms, at least. It's hard to keep track of them all. I'm not in the maintenance business. I'm in the disciple-making business. So my question is, who's next? I don't want to just kick our feet up and be like, well, 2019 had a great year of baptisms, Who's next? Who can we welcome, care for, and invite into service? The reason I'm done weeping for whatever's next in the United Methodist Church is that the general conference and the annual conference and all of our structure exists to support the local church, not the other way around. It's the local church that makes disciples. It's the local church that baptizes people. It's the local church who welcomes and cares for folks. And so I'm gonna double down on who we are. I'm gonna double down on this church. I'm done weeping for the broader church because I can't control or predict any of that. All we can do is be who God has called us to be. It's the local church that makes disciples. And so I've traded in my weeping for our denominational process for the joy of the Lord. Because after all, it's called good news, isn't it? So friends, I hope you will join me and come what may, Unite as a church to communicate God's love through sacrificial service so we can continue to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's the vision. And everybody agreed and said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time to gather and hear from your word. Just like folks did thousands of years ago, may we be desperate to hear a word from you and in, and in our repentance and in our angst and in our selfishness, may we weep because that's not how you've called us to live. Help us this morning to trade our weeping for the joy that is possible through you. The hope of new life that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be people that, not just, that don't just profess it, but live it. And that we could be... Uh, living in such a way as to communicate that new life is possible to the folks around us so that more and more people could come to know the saving love of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.